Well, it has been an incredible collection. This has been huge, this collection of talks through um, this idea of um, we're only gonna be able to live right and love right if we think right. It's so important how we think about something because that directs how we act towards it. It directs how we live. It directs how we make decisions. And if you haven't listened to the past two messages from my husband, you've got to catch it or re-listen to it. Um, It's so important for every single one of us, whether we're married, whether we're single, whether we're dating, this is vital stuff for us to know, to learn, to walk in. So please make sure you've, catch, you've caught up. I also just want to shamelessly p- plug my husband's book, Swipe Right. Um, this is incredible. And I just wanna quickly read Max Lucado's, uh, what do you call it? What's it? Endorsement, forward, endorsement, yes. Um, he said, this is a good book. He said, he said, study it, ponder it, and if you know a 15-year-old, tell them to read it. This is huge. There are truths in here that have marked my husband and my, our relationship, our hearts for young people especially, but our hearts for every single one of us when it comes to marriage, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to love, sex, and dating. So if you haven't read that, do it. We are gonna be in the book of Proverbs today, chapter five. The book of Proverbs is wisdom for us. There is a right way to approach relationships. There is a wrong way to approach relationships. And all throughout the book of Proverbs, we see both. The author of of Proverbs, King Solomon, literally lays out, "Here here it is. Here's a great way to follow God and to love God and to honor God in your relationships and how you think about relationships. Here's a way to not, an opposite of all of that. And so we are gonna be in Proverbs chapter five. And I entitled this message, What to Think About When You Think About Marriage. What to think about when you think about marriage. Now, I heard a story this week, and there was this married couple, they were in bed, and the husband reached over and um, touched his wife's neck, and then his shul- her shoulder, and then her back, and then her thigh, and then her hand, and then he stopped. And she was like, why, why did you stop? And he was like, I found the remote. Welcome to week three of I Think I Love You. You guys, isn't that awesome? Welcome to marriage, okay. Um, I know, I never tell those kind of stories. My husband always does. But what do you think about when you think about marriage? Like maybe just think of some things right now. What do you think about when you think about marriage. Maybe anger, fighting, silence. Maybe those are some of the words that come to your mind. Maybe fun, happy, sweet. Maybe achy, painful, hard. Maybe blissful, abundant, joyful. What do you think about when you think about marriage? As I was studying and thinking about this, I was listening to just a bunch of different messages and pastors talking about this because I, I I mean, Levi and I will be married 19 years, but I still feel like such a newbie. I still feel like I'm learning. I still feel like um, I'm a struggle forward and things are hard and good and beautiful and awesome and a struggle, but I was, something that a pastor said reminded me of a rock tumbler, and that's what this contraption is. It's a rock tumbler. It's Clover's, and she so kindly um, let me borrow it for my illustration. We gave it to her for Christmas, and it has been 
going and tumbling and rumbling since Christmas, literally. I didn't realize what goes into rock tumbling, but it is very intense, and it, there's so much that goes into it, so much time, so much effort, so much everything, and I was just thinking, creating a beautiful gemstone, oh, here, you wanna come? Thank you, Isaac. Um, creating a beautiful, shimmery, smooth gemstone starts with just a, a regular, plain, not very pretty rock. And I was thinking, marriage is like two, we've been learning in the past couple weeks, uh, everyone's incompatible, which I loved that. It really just takes the pressure off, doesn't it? Everyone's incompatible. But when you say I do, when you enter into marriage with that one other person, it's two of you saying, okay, yes, I do. Okay, till death do us part, to forsake all others, to love and to cherish in sickness and in health and all the other things, only unto you for as long as we both shall live. <laughs> and you're committing your one life to someone else's one life and you jump on in to the tumbler of marriage and you get on track. Clover literally gave me like a tutorial how to use this. And he just, you go. And it's literally two rocks just bumping up against each other in a good way and in not a good way. You know. This is, I understand and realize in the preparation that it's taken to come to this point and to say that God has tasked me to talk about marriage and what we think about marriage and how we think about marriage and what marriage is meant to be, what marriage needs, what marriage is, I realize it's a big deal. It's a hard thing, it's a beautiful thing. It's dangerous waters. We all have come from different situations, different families. Maybe some of us were married and then we were divorced and we're married again. Maybe some of us are just, we were divorced and now we are single. And I realize that this is a hard topic, but I just want to, at the gate, say that you are here for a reason today, wherever you're joining us from. And that God is a God of healing, God is a God of strengthening, God is a God of new beginnings. God is a God of fresh starts. God is a God of creating something out of nothing. So if you feel like you have nothing to give, if you feel like maybe your marriage is hanging by a thread or you are still single and you want a spouse, God is able. So today I just wanna encourage you to rest in that no matter where you're coming from, no matter if you are married, if you're single, if you are divorced, if you are remarried, if marriage isn't even on your radar, we can just kind of take a deep breath and just allow God to refresh our hearts in this area of marriage, okay? You guys up for that? We are gonna be in Proverbs chapter five, if you wanna open up there. But um, we're gonna dig into this a little bit more. Um, the book In the Meaning of Marriage by T Tim and Kathy Keller is an amazing book that if you haven't read it, you should. But he says, marriage is a long-term binding commitment through a covenant. And later on he says, the legal covenant, because some people are like, oh, but it's just papers. Like if my love for my person is so strong that we don't need a covenant, we don't need we don't need to write it down. We don't need to put a commitment on paper. But he says the legal covenant makes marriage even more intimate 
because you've literally said yes to someone. You've made a, com- a covenant with someone saying I do, yes, through all these things, sickness, health, rich, poor, yes to this person and we're exclusive. We're just, it's us. God created us individually but he has us together in a relationship. He says it actually makes the marriage even more intimate. Another thing he said when he asked the question, what is marriage for? And he said it's a deep character change through deep friendship. And that's two imperfect rocks just bouncing off each other. Genesis 2.18 says, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. We learned last week, it was God's idea. Marriage, sex, God's plan, right? So if it's God's plan, then don't we wanna enter into marriage with his his plans over us, with his instructions leading us, with his plans guiding us. We need to follow him. So God designed man, God designed woman. Now what's so beautiful about this word helper comparable is the word in Hebrew, Hebrew, ezer konegdo. And it's actually a really beautiful phrase which means a helper, an assistant, who comes alongside, and Levi talked about this this last week, which by the way, how thankful are we for our pastor who boldly, brilliantly, with grace and truth, preaches about sex. Not every church does, and he does it with such grace and with such hope and with such redemption, and I'm so grateful. Um, But Ezra Konegdo, it's this idea of God saw the need Adam looked around and was like, all these animals have somebody and I don't have somebody. And I always think of like super just like emo music and he's just walking like, oh, oh yeah. And then it's like, I don't have anyone with me. And, um, but God saw the need and God was the one who met the need. He created marriage. Ezra Konegdo, there's a beautiful podcast by Lisa Harper um, called What God Thinks About Woman, Women. And I had to listen to it like four times. I had our staff listen to it. It is stunning. Um, Lifting up the beauty of a woman, especially in ministry. Um, But if you are looking for something to listen to, that's beautiful. But God's vision for marriage was that man and wife would walk with God, would cling to him, would cling to each other, and walk in fruitfulness and multiplication. Be fruitful and multiply. Ephesians 5.31 says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one. I wanna talk today about what marriage is, what marriage needs, what marriage is meant to be. God cares about marriage and he cares about your marriage. And whether or not you are married today, he cares about your relationships He cares about your future spouse, whoever they may be, wherever they may be, and he is in control. He, just like he brought Eve to Adam, he will bring your spouse to you. And my encouragement is just to be busy, loving God, serving God, being in the house, loving people, serving people, and I'm telling you, that's the best way to meet your person. I believe it's God's heart for marriage to be fun. I believe that God's heart is for marriage to be sweet. So we're going to talk about that a little bit um, today. Proverbs 5, let's, let's open it up together. Verse 15. <clears throat> now just a little bit of context. The author starts off with saying, my son, pay attention to my wisdom so that you can preserve discretion and you can keep knowledge. He wants his son to learn the truth about immorality, like we learned last week, or maybe it was the week before, porneia, the junk drawer of immorality. He wants him to know this is what it is all about. But then in verse 15 he says, 
Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Hello. And always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? This is a key verse. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. And Lord, we look to you, and we just ask that you would open our eyes to see what your word is telling us. And I just believe that, Holy Spirit, you're moving in this place. You're moving all across our church. You're moving in people's hearts as they join us online. And I just pray that you would strengthen us. I pray that if we feel any bits of um, conviction or, um, or encouragement or challenge, that we would just have our hands open and say, Lord, teach me. I don't want my pride to get in the way. I don't want myself to get in the way. Teach me your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, Marriage needs a firm foundation. It needs a source. It needs the source. A fountain needs a source in order to be a good fountain. I don't know if you've seen those little tiny fountains that just kind of spurt little bits and pieces, but in order to have a good, strong fountain, there needs to be a good, strong source. Our love on our own if we're pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, and it's just us giving our love, that has an end. We need to be plugged in to the one who has love always, freely gives, freely pours into us. We have to have a source, and marriage needs a source. We need him to be everything we need, and we need him to give us everything we need. Now this is something that I have learned in my marriage that I was doing and that I still find myself doing if I'm not careful. And it's putting Levi, my husband, in the place where God should be. And it's so easy to do that, especially, I mean, I am so, I feel so lucky that I get to be married to Levi Lesko. And he leads me, he leads me so well, and he loves the Lord so amazingly. But it's so easy for me because I am a good follower <laughs> and he is a great leader. And so there, are so there have been so many times in our marriage where I've put him right there because, oh, he's gonna lead me and he should lead me and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put him in a place that God should only be. But when we put our spouse, when we put anyone, when we put anything on the throne where God should be, that is a recipe for disaster because that person cannot meet our needs the way God does. Only God can satisfy our souls. Only God can meet our every need. So what needs to happen is I need to put God in the center and say, God, in this moment, and literally this is a prayer that my counselor told me. She said, Jenny, in those moments, you need to pray, God, give me what Levi can't give me right now. If I'm expecting Levi to know what I need, if I'm expecting him to, um, to say the right thing, to do the right thing, to lead me, I need to go to God and say, God, you are my savior, you are my king. Give me what I need that Levi isn't able to give me right now. And that takes the pressure off. And honestly, the very first week of this series where my husband went through the list of things for dating, those very things are the exact things that we need to follow as married people, which are, you have a purpose. God has a plan. What's the other ones? Um, oh, take the pressure off. Um, stand for purity. What was the other one? I know, did I write it down? Lean into your people, thank you. And don't give up the pursuit. Literally, those points, you can 
use in marriage and use in all of life. And I love how simple it is, but how important it is and how easy it is to veer off from that and to start expecting your spouse to meet your needs. We need a firm foundation. Your spouse is not that firm foundation. Your kids are not that firm foundation. Jesus Christ can only be the solid rock on which we stand. And then and only then can we, in Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. So if we're looking to Jesus, if we're expecting him to refresh, to satisfy, to meet, then we look over and our spouse is a gift. And yes, we're gonna have issues. We're still rocks tumbling in the tumbler. There's gonna be hard stuff, but you look to them and you say, oh, I wanna encourage you. I wanna be the best that I can be so that you can be the best that you can be. We need a firm foundation. Number two, marriage is meant to be focused and a fortress. Marriage is meant to be focused and a fortress. Verse 17, oh, I didn't mention that um, in the last point is a fountain, obviously. Yes, okay, so um, verse 17, let them be only your own. So instead of letting our fountains, our relationship, our who we are, the life, our heart be just for everyone and every, anyone, it says it should be your own. Your fountain should be only for you and not strangers with you. It's an exclusive relationship. It's not an open marriage, it's exclusive, where man and wife's intimacy is only for each other. There's a vulnerability, there's a sweetness that you share, there's things, there's inside jokes, there's things that just you two know together, and that is focus, but that also creates a fortress. Gary Thomas wrote a book called Making Your Marriage a Fortress, and it's beautiful, Um, but he also wrote a book called Cherish, which is my word for the year. Um, Cherish, the one word that changes everything for your marriage. And he talks about Adam and Eve having the luxury of them being the only humans. So it wasn't like Adam looked at, what, at Eve and was like, wow, you're so beautiful. But then like looked over and saw another beautiful woman, another beautiful woman, another beautiful woman. Like it was literally just Eve. And he literally only had eyes for Eve and the same Eve for Adam. And that's so beautiful, they're so lucky, they didn't have the luxury, or they did have the luxury of just focusing on each other and building a fortress with them and God. That's beautiful. But now, we have to fight for that focus, right? We have to fight to make our marriage a fortress. And to, when we see our, our husband not thinking through like, oh, I wish he was like this guy because he's, he's messing up in this, or I wish he was strong like this guy, or I wish he looked like this guy. Like, literally, we have to fight to see with our eyes, to gaze on our spouse, that they are the definition of beautiful. So for husbands, for you to look at your wife, and this is why pornography is so dangerous and so destructive because like my husband said last week, we're training our eyes to see just a bunch of people, a bunch of people, a bunch of beautiful and perfect airbrushed people. And then when you're finally ready to hunker down with somebody and get in the tumbler with somebody, (laughs) they have uh, gravity (laughs) happening to them. And there is an airbrushing that happens, and they don't wake up looking so beautiful. I mean, unless you have um, eyelash, the false eyelashes, which are so fun to have, um, because you wake up in the morning and you just feel gorgeous. (laughs) I'm like, I'm gonna have false eyelashes in heaven, but they'll be real. Um, (laughs) but, um, But to have eyes for just the one that God has given you. We have to fight for that that focus, that fortress. Number three, marriage is meant to be a flowing fountain. We see that here, Proverbs 5.18. Let your fountain 
Be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. This is so beautiful. When you pick this apart, the word let, it means to authorize, to say yes, to permit. I will let my fountain be blessed and I will rejoice with the wife of your youth. There has to be a commitment, right? There has to be a, I'm ready for this, I'm here for this, in the good, the hard, the bad, I'm here for this. Let your fountain, which means a spring, a source of happiness, enjoyment, your possessive ownership over your relationship. No one else can love or respect your spouse except for you. And yes, actually, people can, but it means so much more coming from you. Other people, don't let other people praise and honor and respect your spouse more than you. Let words that come out of your mouth be speaking life over your spouse. Let words that come out of your mouth, the tone, hello, that's my problem, the tone that comes across your whole body, be kind and loving and tender and respectful. You guys, this word blessed, it's the Hebrew word barak. And if you weren't a part of our seven words of worship series, you should go back and listen to the whole thing, but we studied the word barak which means to bless, to praise, to be filled with strength, to be full, to be adored, to wish a blessing on oneself. So let your fountain of your relationship be blessed. Let it be blessed by the Lord. Rejoice, take pleasure in, youth, your early life. Literally, the author is talking about the wife of his youth, the wife of your youth when you get married when you're young and growing old together. I remember that when Levi and I were first dating, I just remember looking at him one time, I'm like, I just wanna grow old with you. And I don't know where that came from because I don't think that's like a normal thing that people say when they're dating, but I just remember like, I just wanna grow old with you, I, I, lo- I love you, your integrity, your character, your strength. I want more of that in my life. Number four, <clears throat> marriage is meant to be frisky, fiery, and fun. And that's all supposed to be a good thing. Um, Proverbs 5.19 says, as a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. To satisfy means to take your fill, to drench, to water abundantly, to saturate. All times, okay, it says, let her breasts satisfy you at all times. All means all. (laughs) That is so crazy, but let her breasts satisfy you at all times. I love this here. Matthew Henry, a commentator um, said, let her be as the loving hind and the pleasant roe, such as the great men sometimes kept tame in their houses and played with. Desire no better diversion from severe study and business than the innocent and pleasant conversation of thine own wife. Let her lie in thy bosom as the poor man's ewe lamb did in his. How sweet is that? As a loving deer, as a graceful doe, there's just this picture of sweetness, of lightness, of a childlike fun and um, tenderness. Now, if you um, have kids with you, you brought them in, so you can leave, but (laughs) you can take them to kids, but I just wanna specifically talk about something real quick. Husbands, there are a lot of breasts in the world. But I wanna encourage you today to be obsessed for your wife's breasts. Because those are the ones that will satisfy you. There are no other ones that will satisfy you. Those are the ones. So be obsessed with hers, okay? Now number two, and this is equally as important, wives, we know there are a lot of breasts out there. So let's let our husbands be satisfied in our breasts. I think sometimes we don't feel like it. Sometimes, and especially when we've had babies, and there's a baby nursing on those things, and they are not for touching. 
when um, maybe you just don't feel good, maybe you're just like, I don't feel even desirable, I don't feel like you should touch me or even look at me. I just want to encourage you to let your husband be satisfied in your breasts. At all times, the Bible says, but I think there needs to be that communication. Like, if you don't want him, if you're, not if you don't want, but if you're not in the mood or whatever, just have the conversation, but say something like, hey, I really want to, and can we just put a pin in that, but I, I don't have any energy, and you can, here, you can just look at him. <laughs> Okay, is that too much? I just want to encourage you guys because to, to have a focus, to have a fortress, there needs to be that vulnerability and that realness. And I've read so many books where older couples are so satisfied in their sex lives. And you just imagine an, an older person and their bodies, and you imagine how does that satisfy anyone but it's true, it does, they do, because there is, it's not just a passionate, oh my gosh, you're so hot, and oh my gosh, like, if I were to kiss Levi the same way I, we, we kissed when we first kissed, and there was the sparks and everything, that would take, that would not be possible. But there's the kiss that we have now that has layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of commitment of hard stuff that we've gone through, of fights, of making up, of more fights, of more making up, of loving each other, of choosing each other no matter what, and that kiss is so priceless and so precious. And then all of you who are not married, just be focused on the things that you should be focused on. I wanna encourage you to be careful what you watch, be careful what you see, be careful what you let in. And on that same note, we've all messed up in this area, we've all made mistakes in this area, and that's okay. God's grace is sufficient for us, his strength is made perfect in weakness. If we've seen things we shouldn't see, if we've chosen to see things we shouldn't see, Let's make a covenant with our eyes like Job says. Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? Like Levi said a few weeks ago, treating those who are not our spouse, and if we're single, treating those who are not our spouse, as our brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a purity, there's a sweetness, there's a kindness, there's a love, purity. How can a young person keep their life pure? By, take, by living according to your word, Psalm 119, 109. Number five, okay, we got through that one. I'm hot in here. Um, number five, marriage is full of friction. Marriage is full of friction. Let's be real, it's not always fun, right? It's not always happy. To go back to the Tumblr, the list that I mentioned earlier, angry, anger, fighting, Silence, fun, happy, sweet, achy, painful, hard, blissful, abundant, joyful, that could all be in one day when you're married. <laughs> Seriously, I've experienced it. But marriage is full of friction, so what do we do about it? Well, we let the conflict and the friction be an opportunity. Conflict creates space to go deeper. And friction is a good thing too. It's actually, friction is, it's that grit that covers slippery spaces. And in order to um, create beautiful gems, shiny gemstones out of rocks, you have to put grit in it. Yeah. And it's, well, at least for clover, it's four different kinds of grit. It's a coarse grit, it's a medium grit, and then it's a fine grit, and then a, a finer grit. There's literally, it's just grit. And you can say coarse grit and fine grit, but it's all grit. But the longer that you show up, the longer that you say, I do, every day, waking up, if in a hard season of marriage, in the winter, maybe in the winter of marriage, you're experiencing it, and you say, I, I still choose 
you. I still say I do. It is hard. It feels like maybe our marriage is hanging on by a thread, but I still choose you. It's letting that grit be the friction that helps clean away the impurities. It helps bring out the best in us to create a smooth, the smooth stone that we were meant to be. And I love that grit is in the word integrity. And we're meant to, the, the word in, in the Hebrew is complete, it's purity, it's innocence, it's respectability. This idea of we're meant to grow in integrity. We're meant to be stronger and more beautiful on the inside. And getting to be married to someone, as hard as it can be sometimes, you're looking, basically it's like looking in a mirror all the time. Like I remember when we were first married, it was like, oh, I'm really messed up in that area. Oh, I am not good at communication. Oh, I'm not good at encouragement. Like I literally was just like, oh, I'm just learning so much about myself and you could run away from that or you could lean into it and let the other person and their imperfections and their incompatibilities just let God take those things out that he doesn't want in you anyways. Number six, marriage needs to fight forward. We've already covered this, but we are imperfect, we are incompatible, and we are in desperate need of God's grace. We are going to make a mess of things. Because that's just what happens. We are still, yes, we love Jesus and we're saved and we're headed to heaven, but we're still gonna mess things up. We're still gonna sin, we're still gonna fall, but we need to fight forward in our marriage. We need to fall forward in our marriage. Keep showing up, keep loving and cherishing even when you don't feel like it. I remember hearing someone say that as parents, we unconditionally love our kids. Like they can mess up, but we love them, we feed them, we take care of them, we tell them, you're doing better than you think you are and all the things. But then you turn into the marriage relationship and if they're not loving you, it's so easy just to turn away and be like, okay, fine, well then I'm not loving you. And then they're like, oh, well, I'm not loving you. And then it just gets, and then the distance gets further and further and further, and then the kids go away to college, and you're just like, I don't even know you anymore. And then so many divorces happen that way. But if we chose to give, like we would give to our kids or give to someone in our group that we're leading, the same, those same things in our marriage, then that just creates more unity, more strength, more beauty. Fight forward. Now what about hormones? You want me to talk about that? Yes, you do. Okay, I, in the past three years, I'm 41, but in the past three years have just literally been learning about what the heck is going on in my body the hormones that come from my brain and course through my body and that time of the month where progesterone and estrogen and all these things seem like they're fighting together just inside of me and every single one of us women have something that's even different going on. It's the same but different because we all have different things and different levels and I just wanna encourage you women to find out and figure out your hormones and to figure out your cycle and because every month we struggle, right? And men, every month we struggle. And I just wanna encourage you ladies that you're not crazy. Maybe you need a little bit of medicine. Maybe you need to figure out your infradian rhythm, your, your monthly cycle. But I just wanna encourage you that a lot of conflict, and I'm speaking from experience, a lot of conflict and issues come from that very thing and it's something that we can do about it. It's something that we can help and we can grow, we can figure it out, okay? And I'm, I'm just wanting to encourage you if you haven't, and that might be something that just might be helpful. Literally, um, birth, it's been found that birth control can change your attraction toward your spouse. And the very same thing can happen those times of the month. So those times of the month where you look at your spouse and you're like, I don't even like you. 
but I don't know why, because I just loved you so much yesterday. Like, that's a real thing. So I just want you to know, like, so many destruct, like, destruction of marriages, like, is a lot on us, and I'm not trying to put the blame on you or say you need to figure out yourself first, but in a sense, we do. And um, there's just so much healing and so much for you in that. So I just wanna tenderly talk about that, but just from experience. So I'm on a medicine and it's so, it's so good. And I'm not saying everyone needs medicine. I'm not saying everyone needs to do what I do, but I think you should figure things out for yourself, right? Okay. Embrace the struggle See the conflict as an opportunity for deeper levels of intimacy. Number seven, we're finishing up here. Marriage is meant to be fulfilling and to fulfill God's purpose. Ephesians 5, 21, starting in 21, says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. We need to let God do the tumbling. He's the one that is in control. Let him do the work in our hearts and in our lives as we humble ourselves before God, before each other. Marriage is fulfilling. There's a sweetness to it. There's a strength to it. But more than that, marriage is meant to be a picture of Christ and the church. We're meant to point to Jesus, our Savior. This is what it's all about, and I understand. I know there have been so many times where I look at our marriage, and I'm like, I don't feel like we're a picture of Christ and the church. And maybe you don't feel that either, and that's a great place to be because God's grace is sufficient for you. His strength is made perfect in weakness. And where you feel like you're weak, where you feel like you're failing, as you surrender that to him, as you say, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't be an example of Christ and the church. We can't be an example of Christ and the church without you leading us, without you filling us, without you pouring your love into us so that we can be aware of the fact that we get to be an example to the people in our lives, to the world around us, that there is a God who loves them and that they are meant to be part of the church. And then First Peter, Chapter two, verse five, says coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Yes, we are little stones, but Jesus is the rock He is the rock of our salvation. He is the living stone. So it's not even just us in here. We add Jesus to the mix. He's in there, his spirit, his his power, his love, his grace, a part of the grit. But what I love is that Clover was telling me that you also put water in here. So there's the water, there's the washing of the water, there's the Holy Spirit in our midst taking us from a rock. (laughs) Thank you, Isaac. Taking us from a jagged rock to a more smoother stone, which this one actually needs more grit. (coughs) But then, (coughs) excuse me, 
I found this heart-shaped rock. And we're meant to become one flesh with our spouse, with Jesus as the center. So I guess all to say, all of this, we are living stones building up the house of God, Jesus as our rock, Jesus as our king. And God's calling you to be the spouse that you were designed to be, to be the spouse that you were born to be. And you know what? Perfection is not what we're, being, what we're called to. It's a progress, it's forward motion. When we fall, we get back up. When we sin against our spouse, we tell them, we ask for forgiveness. That's also what marriage is, forgiving. And for those of you who are single, for those of you who, (coughs) man. (coughs) For those of you who maybe have been hurt in a relationship and maybe you've come and you just feel like you don't have anything to give, I want to spend some time and just pray for you and, um, and tell you that just because you're single doesn't mean you're just a jagged rock all on your own. And there's no hope for you because you don't have a spouse to bump up against and be in the tumbler with. Because when you're part of the house of God, when you lean in to the people around you, when you lean into the wisdom surrounding you, to the examples of people around you in your small group as you serve, as you give, you're, you're in the tumbler. This is fresh life tumbler. And you are smooth, the rough edges are getting smoothed away as you let, as you let them. <coughs> and you are being polished. <coughs> Goodness gracious. So Father, we look to you. And we tell you that we need you. And a subject like this where there's just so much, there's, there's a heaviness to it, there's a weight to it, there's a, there's so many facets. <clears throat> and so God, we just sit in this moment remembering that you are big enough to handle all of them. But you're also big enough looking in in this room, looking across our church and seeing the individual needs and the individual struggles and the individual stories. You're big enough to be everything for that one person and that one couple because you are God, you are Lord of all, you see all, you know all. And so God, we just sit in this moment. If you're here with your spouse, would you hold their hand? And if you've been in a fight and haven't touched in a while, I want to encourage you to hold each other's hand in faith. I pray over the marriages in this church, God. Every single one. I pray for the healthy marriages that are strong. I pray for more strength. I pray that as you anoint them and lead them and call them, that you would cause them to walk in fruitfulness and that they would see you provide for them and use them like never before. I pray for the marriages in this church that are hurting. just been an ache 
just some tender spots and communication has been hard. I just pray, Holy Spirit, cover them. Lord, surround them with your love, with your peace. I pray that in this moment that they would look up to you to see your faithfulness. to see that you're not asking them to be perfect and to have it all together and to know exactly how to go forward. You're asking them to run to you and to surrender to you. Because God, you are the answer to our aching souls. You are the answer to our aching marriages, our aching relationships. I pray that your grace would grease the wheels of their struggles, would grease the wheels of their communication. Help them to take the next step that they need to take towards you and towards each other. I pray for those who have been hurt by divorce and the the children who've been hurt and the the parents, the grandparents, the, the couple involved. Lord, divorce hurts so many people, but Lord, we also know that you are restoring. You are restoring God. I pray that you would heal the hurting hearts. That those here in this place would let you bring up the hurt that maybe is packed down deep so that you can heal it, take it away, and draw them in. I pray for every single person in this house. They wouldn't be scared by marriage or resent it, but that they would see it as a gift from you that they would see it as something that you will be so faithful to bring their way when you, when your time is perfect. I pray just over every single one of us that we would surrender to you, that we would trust you, that we would abide in you, that we would yield to the Holy Spirit. And if there's anyone here who doesn't yet have a relationship with Jesus, he's calling you. He loves you. He has a purpose and a plan for you. He's knocking at the door of your heart and he's saying, I love you. All you have to do is let him in and say something like this, just say, God, I I know that I need you. I know you sent Jesus to die on the cross and to rise from the dead. You've given me life and I, I receive it. I believe you. I trust you. I surrender to you.